I might have something important to say, but I know if I post a picture of my naked body being comfortable, that that will pull people in because it's like surprising to see a fat person like comfy to me it's like a non-issue it's not even a point anymore but like it is to others and Mm -hmm. so it's the entry point hello and welcome to what's underneath the podcast that will inspire self-acceptance through empowering you to embrace what's unrepeatable in you i'm lily mandelbaum and sitting next to me is my mom elisa goodkind and we are style like you style like you is a movement for acceptance rooted in radically honest docu-style videos podcasts and books we love the ritual of lighting candles and are thrilled that this episode is brought to you by pf candle co another female-founded family-run company. Our interviews are such meditative experiences, so having a PF candle burning during the recording only adds to the feeling of warmth and intimacy. PF's mission is to make high-end quality candles, read diffusers incense, and other unisex scents at accessible prices. And everything PF makes is vegan, cruelty-free, and paraben-free. So give yourself some self-love and decompression therapy by going to pfcandleco.com and use the coupon code STYLE for 20% off your order. That's pfcandleco.com with the coupon code STYLE for 20% off. Hey, Mom. Hi, Lily. How are you? I'm very, very good because I'm with Dana Falsetti. And who's Dana Falsetti? <laughs> she refers to herself as a, as a speaker and a writer and um, a yoga teacher of larger bodies, but she's much, much more, more than that already. I can tell she's... She's a visionary and a warrior and on this planet right now to make this world a much better place. So I'm really happy to be here with her. Can you just talk about like how you're feeling right now? Yeah, right now I am like in such a transitional phase of where, your life, of my life, definitely of my work, but just in life, I feel like I'm moving towards more simplicity and I think just like reassessing the identity factor being really, really public on social media for the last four or five years and just in media in general in a way that I, I didn't anticipate. And I've just kind of been like going along the ride because what else can you do? I suppose. Um, but I think I've just reached a point where it's all kind of culminated and I've just realized how badly I need to take a step back. Mm -hmm. There are things that have made me angry I don't know. Just a lot has changed. Like what? The the anger is the anger is mostly around corporate yoga and wellness world, which I've certainly played my own part in in the last few years. And I think I just needed a complete like I need to remove myself to reassess and figure out how I can exist in that if I'm going to keep doing it in a way that feels as true to my integrity and morals as possible I think as I've learned more over the last few years too it's like I see more clearly why people liked me in the first place and that has also made me angry just general tokenism it's just like I was in it in the beginning and so I didn't see it clearly in this way at all but So what, and what was the beginning? Can you just talk about? Yeah, I just, so like, it's so wild because it's just such a different mindset now years later. But so most, most of my life up until five years ago was just all about my body and just body image and just intense insecurity and just 
everything was about that. Everything was about changing my body, losing weight and being able to just feel like I could fit in and be seen and respected in a way that I didn't feel like I was getting because of my body. That was my whole life. And I just cycled through weight loss and gain forever, just years over and over and over again. And then after this year of significant weight loss, like this phase where I thought that that was going to be the last time and I was going to lose all the weight, you know, and just be happy and have reached that, like that moment. And, um, it just didn't happen that way. Of course, like I arrived in that body and just felt exactly the same, but all of a sudden I did get those privileges. So it's like, I could shop more places. I could eat things in public without people looking at me a certain way for having made the choice to eat that Mm -hmm. things like that changed, but I didn't feel different. And that's what ultimately led me to the, my yoga practice. And it wasn't like a direct, Oh, I'm going to start practicing yoga and it's going to be the thing that's going to change my life. It just kind of happened. And the entry was just prideful. Like the whole start of my practice was just like, I'm going to be the fat girl who can do the headstand or do whatever to show you all that I can do it because I felt like people thought I couldn't. And what happened through that process, two things happened. One, I ended up actually showing myself that I was capable of a lot more in my life than I thought I was. And that's what I really needed. So thankfully that happened. But two, like I started sharing on social media and people started coming in. In the beginning, I was like, wow, this is amazing. It's so cool. And it is, it is so much of it is amazing to be seen. and, And that representation is so important. But there's also this whole, like the whole phenomenon of like, um, needing to be exceptional, like, the reason that it grabbed people in the beginning was because it was shocking. Like it jarred people to see me as a fat person, someone they would assume couldn't do it in a forearm stand. And so it was like, wow, look at this. And so it was really like a whole circus in the beginning. And I didn't see it like that until now. And now I see why people, so many people were attaching to it and seeing worth in it. And it's the same reason that I realize uh, I've been awarded opportunities. Like this is the conversation of of being able-bodied even, like having the privilege of being like young, white, able-bodied, all of these things that fit like a marketing person's dream. I'm like the fat girl with the strength so they can use me for their stuff, you know? And so it's just... So you started with this mission to like prove how strong you were? That's Totally. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, it started with that. And then I basically, I proved my strength, I think, to the world, but to myself. So along the whole time you were documenting yourself? like Yeah, I mean, I was sharing on social media and writing little captions, um, just about things I was learning, like things I was realizing about myself for the first time. Um, And people connected with those and continued to. Um, uh, Recognizing like various defense mechanisms that I had built, um, seeing my relationship with food more clearly, like recognizing the ways that I, uh, looked for validation in my life, Mm -hmm. just all sorts of just these clarity moments that come with that practice. Relationships. Yeah. All of it, just that mirror, you know, Mm -hmm. I finally had that mirror and I started sharing that along with photos and videos of my practice. And it just sort of accumulated from there. And it was awesome in the beginning. I mean, there's definitely, um, there are different sort of demographics of people who engaged with it for different reasons, but the Mm -hmm. thing that, 
I loved about it in the beginning was that I felt like other fat people looked and felt seen and then thought that they could practice and then thought that they could do something that they didn't think they could just because they never get to see anybody doing it. Mm -hmm. So that was really powerful for sure. Um, And then I started traveling and teaching and I kind of kept on the snowball of like the exceptionalism of being like the fat yoga teacher who could do all sorts of flashy things. Mm -hmm. I recognized uh, how much I was rooting my worth and value in my ability to do strength-based yoga postures, for example, which Mm -hmm. people, we talk about disciplined, the concept of a disciplined body being a better body. So I was like, wow, I think I even need to step back from the intensity of my physical practice. And actually I just need to show up and do what feels good, mm-hmm, you know? Cause mm-hmm. it, it's like, you take that one step, but when society functions in these certain ways, it's really easy to get pulled in. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, Ooh, I can't even exist in my yoga practice without what we call diet culture, which is fat phobia making its way in. So what about, and like, what about from like the yoga teacher world? Like, was that, cause I'm assuming you're like working at different studios or like, mm-hmm. were you doing, I'm like, were yoga teachers like embracing of you or did they like, as far as like the image of their studio, I'm wondering like, was that like a thing that you came up against at all? Yes. <laughs> so I've had, for example, like sometimes I'll be traveling and teaching and I'll want to go to a studio, um, just to take a class Mm -hmm. and they don't know me, you know, that I'm a teacher or whatever. And I'll show up and I've had uh, teachers put props, for example, in front of me and like Mm -hmm. nobody else in the, in the studio, Mm -hmm. like just assuming that I need props and that I'm a beginner Mm -hmm. just because of my body. And Mm -hmm. then by the end they can tell that I'm a teacher and I'm just like, yeah. (laughs) So there, I mean, it's just, but it's built into everything. So like fat phobia is systemically oppressive like all versions of systemic oppression so that means it doesn't shut off you know what i mean it just permeates everything all the time so Mm -hmm. like yeah like there are plenty of fat phobic yoga teachers there are plenty of studios that are run uh by fat phobic racist i mean name the list of things you know Mm -hmm. so how are you going to create a safe space for people if like if that's you running that space or you Mm -hmm. hosting the class. And that's why it's like as yoga teachers, especially the responsibility is huge. Like not just as yoga teachers, but like if you're going to claim inclusivity for sure. And if you're going to claim to create safe spaces for people, like I hope you're educating yourself. You better be in a constant state of educating yourself and learning about experiences of other people. Because if not, you know, you're there are microaggression, you know, you're doing something that's excluding someone and we all do that. And it's just a matter of constantly checking yourself, you know, but I see that through Mm. my lens through the, I see the fat phobia, just that alone. Mm. And so then you want to talk about like the concept of intersectionality, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw intersectionality concept of like, okay, well what happens when you're fat and black, for example, what happens, what, you know, what happens as you load up on the marginalization it's like there's nowhere to go and there's mm-hmm. nowhere to be seen and there's no safe that's space that's safe how lonely do you feel in mm-hmm. the middle of all of this yeah lonely i mean i i am a very sort of introverted and hermity type of person to begin with and i think that loneliness in the sense of um I mean, almost still in an ego-based way of like, you feel like other people aren't, um, don't get it in the way that you get it, but actually people live just as full, you know, intense lives as you do. But it's just sort of like that loneliness definitely permeates everything. And, and certainly as I watch people, um, 
perceive me in ways that maybe don't feel like me to me um, or as I feel my identity and my work shifting, um, wanting to be seen for that or still be seen as human, you know, social media just really create two things. I mean, one, it's like people on the pedestal, but also the false sense of connected, you know, the false intimacy that comes from it too. So it's like people not only put you on a pedestal, but also feel like they really know you. So then when you change, um, other people kind of don't know what to do with it. And when you've sort of been highly engaged in holding people's hand almost through this process, it's like you feel this responsibility to them. And I think that that's kind of what I've been grappling. It's like almost like, am I allowed to step away? (laughs) Am I allowed to delete the app for a month and not talk to anybody? Mm -hmm. Of course I am. But it's just like, that's such a real question because Mm -hmm. it's been such a huge part of my life. So it is, it's almost just like, wow, it's just a very different world and experience when that's not at the forefront of my identity. What about relationships? How has this this new part of yourself and like it just not even wanting to talk, you use the word, what's the word again? Like not even thinking about your body at all. Decentering my body. Decentering your body. Like how has that, has it changed? Like your relationships, your yeah. personal relationships? Yeah. I mean, my, all of my relationships have changed a lot over the last few years. I think when it, when everything started sort of in the very beginning and I just started stepping into this like authentic version of myself that wasn't constantly appeasing and people pleasing other people Mm. um that threw people off (laughs) that was the first thing that threw people off and my relationship shifted in that some people went away because they were no longer getting what they wanted um from me for example um what what in what ways were you like please what was the pleasing related to the your body yeah I don't think the people pleasing was body centric necessarily it was just yet another defense mechanism Mm-hmm. that I, I learned as a way to to find validation and things like that. And I think once I let that go as well, and that's still a slow process, but once I started letting that go and I was no longer just sort of catering mm-hmm. in a way to like everybody and everything around me, that was the first sort of shift. And now I actually think um, this, the, relation, the relationships that are still standing <laughs> are uh, stronger now. Um, because of that process and also because I think um, uh, I, I know myself, like even my family, like my family was such a part of my body image process and like the fat shaming. And I mean, I love all of them dearly and we've talked about it at this point, but like even those relationships I think are, are stronger now actually because I see and know these parts of myself better in a way that those sort of conversations don't even come up anymore because they know that um, I'm not changing my body, mm-hmm. <laughs> for example. So, like, that's not even a discussion anymore because, like, it's not happening. <laughs> what, what did the discussion used to be? Just, like, well, I grew up in a very, like, you need to lose weight, you need to get fitter kind of conversation, and that was most of my childhood. And um, from what was good intentions at the time, like, under the guise of health, for sure, mm-hmm. Um, but very misguided nonetheless and painful in its own way, um, unhealthy even in its own way. Um, but I think, uh, I think my own, my own growth and understanding has just helped 
broaden the understanding of people in my life. You know, they, they, they know more about me because I know more about me. I, I think it's really, really valiantly courageous to like have your level of Instagram following and to just drop off it for a month like that. Or So like, is that what you're doing right now? Um, yes. You're in the midst of it? Uh, yes. That really <laughs> takes a lot of courage. When did you do that? It's been about a month. I deleted, I, I had sort of like a, I had a moment <laughs> like a month ago what where was I was moment? like, I was just like, what the fuck am I doing? I was just like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, do We've I want to keep doing this? this? Yeah, I just, and I, I had this moment where I was like, you know what? These asana workshops aren't making me happy. Like this level of Instagram engagement isn't making me happy. Like, what do I need to do? Mm-hmm. And I am a very impulsive. Again, I have this binge restrict pattern just ingrained in me. <laughs> but uh, so in this moment, I canceled all my workshops for next year. I was like, that's just not what I need right now. I need a break from that. I deleted the Instagram app. And, did and you I tell went your on, followers? I did. I went on and I was just like, I just need a break from this. Like, I'll be back at some point. But like, I just need a break. And mm-hmm. I just kind of left. And it was. It was actually... Um, my anxiety's never been higher. <laughs> I had the highest anxiety of my life the first two weeks that I was off the app because mm. I was like, what's going on? Oh what God. are people saying? Like, what's happening on Instagram? Like, <laughs> and it's just like every day. So it's like, I wasn't even on there, but I was still on there. You know what I mean? And so it's taken a full month at this point to be like, okay, my life can exist without it, which I needed. Mm. I needed the reminder that like, I don't have to have it. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. have to be on. And there. was there a, a, also anxiety about like, will I remain relevant or like? Oh, for sure. It's just well, and things change so quick, and people will be so quick to write you off and just. What things... happens if I'm not liking other things and I'm not engaging? Yeah. If I'm not, you know, all, all the things that the algorithm. Just all of it, yeah. But I don't care. I just like God. I just don't care. Like truly, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's just like, what do I want out of my life? Like, I just want to enjoy my life. I want simplicity I want to support other people and I want to experience things so like do I need Instagram like Instagram can be a great tool and it's been a great tool in a lot of ways for me but like my god it's also not though Mm -hmm. and like balance (laughs) (laughs) balance is not an easy thing it's definitely not easy for me and uh I think until I can find a better way to have it it's just what kind of, what were, you, what were you on? Like how, like what led to like you having to just drop it? Like what's the level of on it that you are were? It's just, I've been super engaged. Just like in my DMs, like almost like therapy, like mini therapy sessions. Like the, the thing that I love about it is that I've been vulnerable, but like we were talking about, it's also opened the door for people to kind of step their way through, which is great because it's what's created that genuine connection with people. It's that it is that intimacy to a certain extent, but it's also like I'm one person and there are hundreds of thousands of you. So I think it's just like when people come into a DM and they want to engage me in a conversation, maybe don't realize that there are 200 other messages there that I got in the last 10 minutes. And it's like, my thing is I need to choose not to engage, Mm -hmm. but it's just like, I'm such a natural, like, I want to connect and I want to know and I, I want to let's to talk about it. <laughs> but then I can't do that for five years straight every day, you know? So it's just, <laughs> it it's naturally snowballed to that. And I'm just like, pause. I just need pause. Mm-hmm. To be anything to anyone, even to them. It's like, yeah, you can't if you're not, if you're like, I'm just depleted. like, yeah. it, it's so depleted. And that's really just all it is. And I think it's almost like, you know, people see it as such a flashy 
the the social media following and just all of the engagements people see it as such a flashy thing but there is there's this whole other side to it too um that almost like if you choose the more i think authentically you choose to use it the more exhausting it is like i could have a Mm -hmm. whole page that's just branded ad content and never talk to anybody and write one sentence and like that could be whatever that could be my page and I it would be a completely different story mm-hmm. but that's not how I've chosen to use it and yeah, so because totally of that, that right like I have to just it I takes have like to a take day to myself. write something meaningful like we yeah. yeah like for sure and everything I do is that way like I don't post shit unless I really have something to say so like every caption I write is like I just went through a whole process writing it you know what I mean and it's just so much it's intense yeah. it's just intense A special thanks to Kristen Pumphrey and her husband Tom at PF Candle Co. for sponsoring this episode. Fragrance is its own form of self-expression and therapy, creating a sense of groundedness and relaxation in the middle of our busy, chaotic lives. PF's products are locally designed, produced, and packed in Southern California, with scents inspired by memories and places from the California coast to the American Southwest. Their mission is to make high-end quality candles, reed diffusers, incense, and other unisex scents at accessible prices. And everything PF makes is vegan, cruelty-free, and paraben-free. So don't forget to give yourself some self-love and decompression therapy by going to pfcandleco.com and use the coupon code STYLE for 20% off your order. That's pfcandleco.com using the coupon code STYLE for 20% off. What do you think is the biggest risk you've taken in your life? I think the first one was just starting this path at all. I think the first one was like not going to law school, which is what I was going to do, and just like opting to attempt to travel and teach yoga for larger bodies. At the time, felt like the riskiest thing I could have done. Um, People weren't really sure what the heck I thought I was trying to do. Um... And it turned out to be, you know, just one of the greatest gifts ever. Like having made that choice that felt really like, I don't know what's going to happen when I do this. Um, and I think the other just general thing that has felt risky, not even one move, but just being vocal, just be being sort of like unapologetically vocal about things that feel right and sort of true to me and like calling things out when I see them and like knowing very well what is at stake and and what's being risked when I do something like that um and I certainly have been (laughs) reprimanded for those things Mm -hmm. um I think that but that's also like that's the innate that's everything about who I am you know Mm -hmm. I, I, I actually said on one of my podcast episodes uh how like we're often quick to demonize certain character traits but it's the same the other side of that character trait is the very thing that you love and that makes you who you definitely right so it's like yeah i'm like i'm a know-it-all and like i have this like (laughs) superiority complex and when i think something i'm gonna tell you like i think it is but also that's what everybody that's why we're here (laughs) so it's like it's just funny well you're you're very deep sensitivity i would say i would put it more like your level of empathy and your deep sensitivity that enables you to connect so well to other people has has also um and I, i'm saying this because i relate in a lot yeah. of ways so i can I'm, I'm, I'm so i'm putting words in your mouth but i'm gonna Go tell for you for it i'm gonna tell you what, <laughs> what what you're saying but you're also but you're also um 
it's also the same. It's the same. That's the, the flip side of that is having this very strong opinion and very. like awareness of yep. things. Yep. And sometimes being vocal about those things uh, is not received well, but such is life, mm. I suppose. People don't like to hear things they don't want to hear. Mm. I say a lot the of those truth. things, yeah. <laughs> I think. And so um, there's always a little risk involved in that. But I, I come back again to the, what's the worst case scenario. And it tends to be I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And I just keep that at the forefront of all the things that feel like risk taking mm-hmm. events in mm-hmm. my life. That's a good that's good advice, I think. Mm-hmm. That I'm fine at the end of the day. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, what is, do you have any sources of shame at the moment, like remaining? Mm, I don't know. I'd have to really think about that, I think, because certainly none that I would have identified with in the past, which was mostly body related things. Um, yes, actually, sometimes, (laughs) sometimes fucking systems and capitalism again, sometimes I feel shameful for like not doing the hustle bustle like not being in a nine to five like for example I'll work like a wild person for like eight days straight and then be doing nothing on a Tuesday at one o'clock and like get in my head and feel this sense of shame like I'm not doing enough or I'm not do you know there's sort of this Mm -hmm. like it's tied to production. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm not producing things, there's definitely like a little shame wrapped up in this, like taking time as I see fit that doesn't sort of fit the mold. Mm-hmm. That's kind of all I can mm-hmm. think of, though. That's and a good that's one, though. I think very I've... different from what I would have said a few years ago. But that's ago. the workaholism what, what that a lot said? of people, like we all, suffer from. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What would you have said a few years ago? Um, my body, a hundred percent, my body, like just, what, what about just what, like even ashamed to be fat, ashamed to be like, not in a place of being able to control exactly what my body looks like. Um, shameful for like food choices for overeating one day, de- you know, just mm-hmm. the nitpickiness of bodies mm-hmm. and food. Mm-hmm. I certainly would have said that mm-hmm. a few years ago. And speaking of shame, can you talk a little bit more about like what you were saying earlier about, um, like the medical world and like the shaming that goes like the 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 kind of false like relationship between like health and weight and like yeah and also like the shaming that you've experienced the, sh- the shaming the shaming that you've experienced from doctors For and people sure. like that so i i think i mean i think the thing to start that whole conversation and understanding with is that there's profit there's a lot of profit to be made in in constantly convincing people that their fat bodies are highly problematic or at least more problematic than they might be in in actuality is a very complex conversation because there's a whole side of it that is like why are people fat to begin with uh where does it come from like body variance is one thing you're also talking about food and then there's a conversation of accessibility like there's so many moving parts but the actual fat phobia that permeates like the medical world and just healthcare in general is incredibly detrimental. Like any oppressive system that permeates anything. Cause it literally like it kills people like fat people go to the doctor and can't get an actual diagnosis because the doctor will just keep telling them to lose weight 
when something else is actually wrong that will go undiagnosed for years because nobody will give them the test and nobody will seek it out. Um, there, there's this connotation. It, I mean, it permeates workplaces as well. Like fat people aren't hired at the same rates that thin people are hired at, for example, because there's this like connotation that you're lazy. It's this undisciplined body thing. So it's like if you can't discipline your body, how are you going to handle anything else? There's mm-hmm. that kind of whole rhetoric too. So there's this like, in, and that crosses over again into sort of the healthcare system of uh, like just work out. And it's always the, it's always this like, just do this, like just work out, just diet and eat better, or, like just eat clean. It's just so funny. Like, and I see comments like this always from like privileged bodied white people and like no one else mm-hmm. <laughs> on conversations about like access to food or like mm-hmm. the ease and ability of like changing your body for example like these quick fixes and answers when it's so much more than that like for me I wish my whole childhood that somebody had ever asked me like what was wrong <laughs> so that maybe I could have uncovered the binge eating disorder that no one ever knew about instead of just trying to constantly mm-hmm. lose weight all of the time mm-hmm. because actually I was in pain and then that's why. So it's like, and though that's different for everybody, but it's just like, there's a lot more going on than feelings. That. Yeah. And it's just like, there's so no acknowledgement of that. We're disregarding that we're disregarding mental health and then we're disregarding self-preservation and just hounding people for nitpicky things that are actually at the end of the day, a little bit more irrelevant than like we claim them to be as well. So there's this like hyper focus on fat bodies being unhealthy when there are a whole wide variety of ways that people are unhealthy, but we see it through this one lens in this one way. And that's really problematic because like you can't see it. And we know that like, we know we can't look at people and see their health and know what's going on in their lives or what their medical records say, but those assumptions exist and nobody is above those things. Like I think the important thing to remember with all versions of systemic oppression is that no one is above it. So like, yes, your doctor is fat phobic. Yes. Your doctor is racist, sexist, you know, whatever the thing is um, because they're people like in society, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it can be really challenging to navigate that. Um, And it certainly has been like, it's taken me time to get diagnosis for things before, um, just because of that. And I've had many doctors just like, tell me to lose weight as responses to all sorts of things that I've come in with. And how do you deal with that now that you like have this new perspective? Like, what do you say to your doctor? Do you like say two things that I thank you for asking? Cause these are, I I want everybody (laughs) listening to know these things. My two things, one, you don't have to get weighed. I never get weighed anymore. When they try to weigh me, I say, I don't want to get weighed. You don't have to. People think they have to. You don't. If it's triggering for you in any way, it's not needed. And also, it gives them further reason to like make a diagnosis based off BMI, which is we know this shit's irrelevant at this point. So I don't allow myself to get weighed. And if they try to give me a diagnosis that's based off of my weight or weight loss, I say, what would you say if I my BMI wasn't 40 or whatever it is. What what would your diagnosis be to someone who had this mm-hmm. ailment and who didn't have weight to lose? Give me that diagnosis. And mm-hmm. I challenge them on that. Like it's the easy way out. It's a major cop out to go in and have them and leave and have the doctor say, go lose weight. And I say, no, do better than that. <laughs> do right. better than that. What else do you have for me? Mm-hmm. 
basically. Those two things are kind of what get me through that because, and it can become very traumatic, right? You've been so many times and it's a negative experience over and over again. The other problem is like a lot of fat people won't go. We won't go to the doctor because we know what's going to happen and it can be very traumatic and triggering. And so we don't go and then things go on for years and years. It's really, it's very much a problem. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And not just for fat people. This is a problem for across the board, like Mm -hmm. in in a variety of different ways. Mm -hmm. Different people's pain levels are believed in different ways. Just all sorts of things. I need a person who I can go to who I feel seen and represented by who doesn't have that fat phobic lens, for example. Even my therapist. Like I just started going to therapy. That's the other thing I did as I stepped away from Instagram. Not a white man. Started going, no, not a white man. And it's a woman and she's health at every size trained. So I know she's not fat phobic because I don't need a fat phobic therapist either mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's the thing it's just like when you're marginalized in any way it's like these extra steps to find the place that feels safe mm-hmm. for you I don't want to just I can't go to just any therapist because I don't want that to be a part of my healing mm-hmm. mm. I know you had mentioned something about a new therapist that you're excited about I was yes like, I want to know yeah about that. I love her she's great Jenny shout out to Jenny how'd you find her (laughs) I found so my a friend of mine actually goes to her and then I she sent me to a website that has resources it's it's a health at every size based site that shows you therapists in your area who are health at every size trained so it's like you can find specific people who you know kind of get fat phobia and how it permeates everything so that that won't come up in conversation as like go lose weight to fix your right because you'll you, feel a lot be better surprised <laughs> like mm-hmm. could go to therapy and leave with like a, a diet plan so right right <laughs> right like, right and have you i mean we know i know we touched on like intimacy and relationships it was was that like a part of your life before five years ago i mean i guess you were really young too, yeah but well like, how well so my two defense mechanisms my whole life have been well, not just defense mechanisms, but validating mechanisms have been food and sex my whole life. So up until like five years ago, and actually when I started practicing yoga that whole year, I like abstained completely from all sexual contact, like no intimacy, because I realized that I was seeking validation through those things and that I needed a big step back from that. So and me, that, were you having like a lot of like just kind of casual experiences? Just like casual like casual sex that was not fulfilling in any way, mm-hmm. shape, no way, shape or form. But I couldn't have even approached that at the time because I was, well, one, insecure about the body, which that will always be a barrier if that exists. But also just the sense of self was not nearly it was not there. But do you and do you feel like sorry, was were you anxious to be in like like physical like like to be naked or whatever with someone was that something that was like really nerve-wracking to you or were you also were you just like so happy that someone you wanted just like the person that wanted to do that with you it was like that was where you were deriving your self-worth I think both like it it was sort of like so when I was growing up my body changed very quickly when I was young Mm -hmm. so by the time I was 12 I literally looked like I was 19 or 20 and Mm -hmm. I had a very adult kind of curvy body I had full breasts and Mm -hmm. hips and everything and while I'm getting fat shamed by like every person in my life, the only people giving me attention were men. Mm -hmm. So it's just very quickly became the path for like, oh, you see me, so I'm going to you. 
but all the while still insecure about the body, still feeling that same shame, Mm -hmm. but seeking that route. Of course, it never filled me in any way. Mm -hmm. And actually I'd, I'd feel worse after every single time, but I never saw that I was in that pattern until I started my practice and had that mirror. And I was Mm -hmm. like, wait a minute. I was like, what the, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. And I just stopped. I was like, no more of this until like, I understand why I'm having sex with people at all Mm. like why am I doing this and that's the question for everything that I do now it's just the why and now I'm in this place and I've been talking so much about sexuality the last couple of years because of this sort of transformation and it's just like it's so powerful now whereas before it was like traumatic and Mm -hmm. to have it go from this like empty if not traumatic place to this place where now like you have, I mean, I'm sure, I hope everybody can relate. You have great sex and like you leave and you're just like, I got everything in the whole world. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just this like empowering, you feel like you're in your body, you feel connected. It's that essence of like being human. And now my sexuality and my intimacy is in that place where it feeds me and Mm -hmm. satiates me instead of like robbing me and taking from me more um, because that's not why I'm there Mm -hmm. now. So it's, so de- it's like been a process. Change, is, the pro- is the change something that you just feel is like this internal thing about why you're doing it has made it? It's definitely, it's, it's the why. And it's also just, it's realizing that so many of the insecurities that existed didn't need to be there and, and weren't actually being perceived by the other person. Mm-hmm. It was a com- combination of that and just like an I don't give a fuck kind of attitude that has come with the comfort of self. So mm-hmm. it's like... I don't need you to like want me like mm-hmm. anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I want you if now it's like, do I want you? It's mm-hmm. not about like whether or not you want mm-hmm. me. And it's just this total shift in perspective and receiving. I don't ha- yeah. Receiving again. Exactly. And I don't have, it's been years now since I've had a sexual experience that wasn't totally fulfilling in some way that wasn't totally connected and didn't have that vulnerability and that that realness as you've said that sort of realness to it Mm -hmm. whereas before I mean what was I even doing it wasn't even set I mean just completely different Mm -hmm. different book Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. what is your feeling about the kind of commodification of like the curvy body like in media, you know, just now, yeah. now the curvy body is a certain body. Mm-hmm. My, I have a bunch of feelings. My one feeling of mine is I'm just, I'm so sick of the body conversations in general. Right. And I wish we could get to this decentering of bodies instead of glorifying bodies all the time, whether it's a thin body or a large, you know, whatever. Um, two, it's just the commodification of it just means that it's now being, watered down and funneled in a certain way to be uh acceptable to the people who are going to be consuming it so for example what i mean i just said that way complicated what i mean is like you're not seeing um like big bellied like really fat models like it's like it's the ashley grams of the world like no shade but like it's like the size 14, still hourglass, still like you definitely don't have a double chin and you've got the face and let it's, it's just not any different. It's like a new problem. It's a new problem. It's the same thing. And that's a problem with it constantly centering bodies is that's never going to change because it's just this constant glorification of bodies over and over again. And it's just like, but people still don't feel seen by that. Like 
some people do, but like, don't call that fat positivity or like a movement for fat people when it's like, you can still wear straight sizes and like people aren't giving you're beautiful. <laughs> like it's just not, you know what I mean? And so it's actually, I think it's just frustrating. I mean, what mm-hmm. happens with any marginalized movement because body positivity started as what was fat acceptance and was started by fat black women. And now like, do you see fat black women at the forefront of the body positivity movement? No, I see size eight white girls who aren't even fat, you know, it's just like, it's right. so detached from the whole point. And it's just, it's like, it's the appeasing version of it for people, like how it's, much people are ready to accept. It's so infuriating. Cause now even with it, with age, with ageism, with the ageism, it's the same thing. It's like, you just see the same five people who are com- fit into like four of the five, like every box is like there except for, you know, but they have gray hair. Yes that one thing that then the publication can feel better that they did their inclusive thing. And the thing is that people are fooled by it. The amount though that people are fooled by tokenization when you're the one who's not marginalized, it's just a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's, it's fascism. I mean, it's really, it's really fascist and it's really, it's maddening. So the magazines were the problem. Then everyone thought Instagram was going to be like sort of the, the 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 problem solver on some level yeah but it's not in a lot i mean in some ways but in other ways it's just become the new fascist version of it yeah. version of it well, and it's know? like it's like who who gets the partnerships who gets the branded content who gets listened to like i'm not seeing too much new i mean i've said this about like there are other fat yoga teachers they're just not able-bodied young and you, you know what i mean it's just like mm-hmm. I, I see that so clearly i know why this company comes to me and not to like the large fat yoga teacher who's doing warrior twos and not headstand. I know why you come to me. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's just like, it's all the same shit. And like the actual, the, 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 the representation that is actually needed, like we're nowhere near that. And, and the, the concept of uh, this other person I follow, Sassy Latte, so awesome on Instagram. If you don't follow them, you should. Um, talked about, yeah, write that down, <laughs> talked about, um, media on my podcast, talked about mediocrity, not being enough. And I was like, oh my God, say that again. Like media. So then tokenization is we're out. <laughs> if mediocrity is not enough, then there's n- tokenization means nothing. So I think if we could see it through that lens, that would change a lot. And what yeah. are some of the things that the brand, so you, you do get approached to do a lot of partnerships and like what, um, what are the kinds of things that they try to like censor? Like when you say sometimes that like they do like that um, some of the ones are trying to, I mean, well, first of all, I say no to literally everything. I've taken like three partnerships in my whole five years oh. on social media, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I don't, I can't, I can't. Um, because you just feel like they're usually so inauthentic. It's not even that. It's just literally like, I, I, I it doesn't take much for it not to be authentic. I don't right. know. To me, I'm just like it's, it's authentic it, it, right it, it, away. That's what I exactly. I'm just like it's I wouldn't authentic. have posted this if you weren't paying me. So is it authentic? <laughs> right. So, but yeah, I don't know. It's just like they want certain settings and like certain outfits or like 
they want to make sure I have my belly out because people or, or don't have my belly. I just, and I'm just like, if you, the only partnerships I'll take are like, pay me the money and give me full reign. (laughs) If that's not the situation, I'm not doing it. Yeah. We have the exact same. That's it. That's literally it. So it's like, I recently took this target, this target partnership because they were one of the first companies that came to me and they were like, write whatever caption you want, say whatever you want. They let me talk about fat phobia and systemic oppression in my caption. And I was like, I'll take it. Yeah. And they were like, whatever photos you want, you pick the outfits. And I was like, that's the only way other than that. Like if you're telling me what to say, what to post to any extent, I'm just not down. And that's fine. Like if that works for you, that's fine. But it's just not your thing. It's not for me. I don't feel, I can't, I don't feel good. Yeah. It feels not good. Yeah. (laughs) I can't. Yeah. Mm -mm. (laughs) And I don't need to. And that's the other thing. I'm like, go give that partnership to someone. Give, go to the person who needs 15 grand from your partnership. You know what I mean? Like I'm just not the amount of privilege that I have paired with the awareness. Like it's not responsible. Like I don't want the partnership. Like mm-hmm. if anyone's going to take fine without it, like you exactly. said, if you're fine. Like if yeah. I'm fine without it, I'm definitely not taking it. And not only that, like you should be giving it to somebody who needs to be seen and like needs that money and like needs this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like, right. And that's, again, that's that, like, what are you willing to give up? Like, are you willing to like walk out of your job? <laughs> like if the fat person or like the black person or whatever it is, isn't getting paid what you're getting paid, are you going to quit your job? <laughs> like, that's what I mean. Literally when I talk about mm-hmm. sacrifice. So it's just Erica Hart talks about that all the time and, and they're really <laughs> awesome too. And so it's just like, yeah, I don't know. That's the place I'm in. I've always been in, uh, in terms of partnerships and things like that. And the only ones that I'll take are ones where like, if you're coming to me, because you like the vulnerability and the engage, you come to me because you like the engagement. Well, the engagement comes from the authenticity and the vulnerability. So why I'm not compromising that for the partnership mm-hmm. and it doesn't benefit you either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, because company. people and can I'll, see it. I'll tell them outright. Like when they come to me and something is really contrived, I'm like, look, my followers aren't stupid. Like they know better and they will know mm-hmm. because I don't talk like this. This is not what I do. And this isn't even worth your money. I'll just tell them point blank. I'll go to someone else who does branded content. Mm -hmm. What does self-acceptance mean to you? Self-acceptance to me is just like, I think being present and being in a state of just being, it's just, it's allowing myself to just be whatever I am in that moment, regardless of what that is, not labeling that thing good or bad. Try to really be done with, uh, categorizing like emotions and, and feelings um, and just recognizing the, 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 in, the imperfect perfectness, you know, that is human, just not being hard on myself. It's this like forgiveness and compassion, the way that I see everybody else, <laughs> the way that I see everybody else, just sort of seeing myself in that same way. Like giving yourself as much forgiveness as you as give to others. As much kindness, as much forgiveness, as much space, you know, it's just, it's a softening. Like for me, I tend to be hardest with myself and very soft in most ways with others. Mm. Um, and it's just been a process of being that person to, to me um, and not setting these high expectations mm. for myself and not feeling fulfilled if I don't meet them. It's just, be, it's just being. Mm. What would you say to your 12-year-old self? <sighs> oh, my gosh. Um, stop having sex. <laughs> stop having sex. Don't worry so much about your body eat the cake and things will get better. Cool. 
I hope a lot of 12 year old selves hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Those three things stop having sex. Stop having sex. Eat the cake. Eat, eat the cake. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love much. it. Thank you. That was amazing. <laughs> Thanks for having me. We hope you were inspired by this episode. Until next week, that's it from me, Elisa. And me, Lily. If you agree that facades separate us and being radically honest brings us together, help spread the movement for radical self-acceptance by sharing this episode, subscribing to our podcast, and joining us on Patreon. To support our work and help us build a world where everyone feels comfortable and safe in their own skin, head over to patreon.com slash style like you. You can also watch our videos by subscribing to our YouTube channel and following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook using the handle at style like you. That's the letter U instead of the word U. And check out our book, True Style is What's Underneath the Self-Acceptance Revolution on Amazon or at a local bookstore near you. We can't skip ahead to a happy ending or live inside a photoshopped image or an Instagram filter. There's no finding oneself when glossing over the truth.